This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thank you for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris. And once again, our guest this week is Jeff Tumbarello. I'm curious, were you one of the few people in the middle of euphoria in, say, 2005 and six that had a negative warning? Were you telling people, guys, you know, got to be really careful in this thing? We would have meeting sponsors that would get up and pitch these pre-construction properties, and I would be shaking my head and rolling my eyes. And the other directors of the RIA would send me to the bar and get me out of the room. So, well, it's, we were at the point where you were, you were getting $330,000 houses on leverage that rented for 1500 a month. And, and, and you could tell the market had clearly peaked. I mean, we were in such a, in a, a frenzied rental demand. The same houses today are 240 and renting for 1800 you know, and, and they were twelve to 1500 a month in the path of utilities. And it just got to the point where a lot of these pre-construction deals being pitched weren't an investment. They were an act of lunacy, mm-hmm. particularly with 90% financing. There was, uh, I spoke in San Diego. There was a lady who came up after my talk because I'm talking about California crash in 06 and it hadn't happened yet. It was, you know, fortunately it was a precursor about what was about to well, this lady comes up and she's kind of upset at me. She said, you know, I'm in escrow with a, with a condo that's, uh, we're buying it for 780 and uh, we were just going to hold it until it was worth a million. And I, I said, tell me about the condo. It's a, it's a studio condo. It's 780 feet. Wow. He's paying a thousand dollars a square foot and her expectation, she was just going to hold it until she made a couple hundred grand. I said, well, what makes you think it can't be worth 300? <laughs> and yeah. so, she, when, when you're of that mindset, it's, it's very interesting because at, at the time I'm doing a lot of speaking, I'm doing a speaking to realtors, let's say, tell a realtor, this is all going to, the whole business model you think is working for you in 06 is not even going to be around. You got to be an REO agent. You know, I mean, that's, that's where it's mm-hmm. going to be. It's, it's hard to hear that. So anyway, I was just curious if you had definitely uh, sat in that seat. I was kind of sure that you did. What? My favorite, you talk about moments in the in the Southwest Florida RIA. We had a meeting in 07. I had just done a bunch of data work on a bunch of the first home notes in Lehigh. And I had carried forward the uh, current pricing with Poly Trend Lines two quarters. And the irony was, is this very wealthy guy who bid on this package, it was from uh, KBW, a Wall Street auction house. And I came back and said, if you pay more than 9% of the unpaid balance, you're going to lose money. And he looks at me and he goes, I just paid you all this money to tell me I can't buy this. And if I actually bid that, they're going to delete me off their list and never call me again. So he eventually, he bid 11%. And then the irony was all these groups kept going like 22, 23 of the unpaid balance of these packages. And uh, nobody ended up buying it. Because, you know, the, the people that would pay that, that would bid that couldn't actually close on it. They were just, you know, okay. it was. And then the even bigger irony was, is because that was packages two, three and four, which were the houses. And there was package one, which was all these lot loans. And if you did your due diligence on the lot loans, there was two 2000 square foot CO'd houses 
on those lot loans that the bank <laughs> either threw in there to get somebody to buy it or just didn't know. I don't know which one it was, but the company I was working with caught it. And uh, they we ended up doing package one and did amazing. And, uh, you know, the net IRRs when you buy lots, but there's a couple houses thrown in are pretty good. So you sell the houses first, repay the capital and then work through it. Right. So, uh, you know, it was really an amazing time. But as a result of that data work, I really I'm like, I know this and I've got all these people that I actually like and care about that come to the meetings. I should tell them what I know. So and so I sat down and I showed everybody we had a meeting. I was a presentation and I took the trend lines and I showed them 100 percent where the market was going. And this is how wrong I was. I told them we were probably going back to 2003 pricing. Some asset classes hit 99 pricing, but at yeah. the I, we probably lost 20 to 25% of the membership within a couple months because Jeff was negative. Jeff, this is a soft landing. It's going to be fine, you know, and, and when I actually said, here's the math, the math shows, and, and there was still high inventory, the year over year numbers for sales counts were still down. So you had a declining market. There are just so many reasons to be, to be bearish. But, you know, human beings, they just want it all to be better. You know, that's that's actually a wonderful thing about us as a species is hope. You know, we actually are optimists for the most part, but you don't want to do that with your treasure if the numbers say differently. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and we lost literally 20 to 25 percent of it uh, of the membership within probably three months. The irony is all those people within three years were back. Like, how did you know? And like Excel said it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. Um, how do you see this market different than the last boom cycle? Last boom cycle decoupled mid 04 became a mania. It was a mania of historical standards, just like the 2000.com. It, it, this is like I just dumped numbers yesterday. Our cash percentage year over year is going up. Now, May was our trough month for the pandemic. We only had like 1,400 sales in Lee County in the MLS. I really watched the, uh, I particularly watched the uh, MLS. And all through this, I really, you know, you talk about learning about numbers. I was really watching what I call the forward looking numbers, which is the pendings and the actives more than the sold, because a sold is really 45 days ago. That that was a, it, it, part of real estate that happened 45 days ago, and it made it to fruition. But the pendings, so I was watching the pendings, and at one point, we we're only about 50 a week uh, for a couple weeks in May, and then all of a sudden, the pendings started sir, 50 a day. And then all of a sudden, the pendings started surging, and also we were 120 a day. 100, I'm like, we're fine. So I knew by I knew by May, the end of May, we were okay here because I was I was at that point. Do I pivot? Where where do I go? But the uh, the difference this cycle versus last, like right now, our cash percentage is sitting at year to date, and this is dated information as of yesterday, at forty five percent for uh, January through April. Wow! So the year the same time frame year before was forty four. So in Today's current market, today's current rates, uh, it, you know, the cash percentage is still there. Our volume, it is insane where it is right now. I mean, it is just totally insane. The volume is up. Sales counts are up. Average price is up. Medium price is up. The average price is actually up higher, which shows the upper end of the market. Right. You've got two booms happening right now concurrently. You've got wealthy people relocating from California mid I met a guy the other day yeah called me after the uh called me after the re meeting he didn't make it he had moved from 
LA to Phoenix to Austin and now had moved here. Like you've pretty much done every California <laughs> thing there is to do in the last three years. And he, right. he basically said he missed palm trees. That's why he came here. But the, uh, it was, uh, it was really interesting. But then, then you've got the millennials and Gen Z, the pandemic when we made them stay home. And I mean, when I was in my early twenties, I was, I, I went home to sleep and do laundry. And that was pretty much the extent of my home life. And, uh, and we made the millennials and particularly Gen Z, cause there's difference. They're two different cohorts. We made them stay home and, and now they want to be homeowners. Right. To where there was a bias, particularly in those generations to not own your own home. They had kind of lost sight of that. Mm -hmm. And when they had to stay home for six months and when you couldn't choose which AC guy came to fix it and you realize you can't paint your wall black if you want to, or you can't buy three Rottweilers if you want to, because the landlord says no, they realize it's a lot better to control your own destiny. And it's really a fundamental shift. So when I see here, I see the entry level, particularly new homes is rocking. And then you've got the upper end rocking with primarily wealthy retirees coming down here. And the exciting part for a retiree to any market is, is as a couple, they bleed money in, but for the most part, they don't work. So they really don't pull from the economy. They just bleed money in. So for every retired couple that moves to an area, they hire two to three people. Somebody's got to mow their lawn. They need a stockbroker or realtor gets them in and out. Their first couple of years here, they buy boats. Uh, interesting thing with the baby boomers is Harleys. The, we have some of the biggest Harley stores in the country. So many, uh, I always laugh if you go to particularly like Tarpon Point, you've got all these retired Arthur Anderson accountants on their $50,000 Harley and their $1,000 leather outfits, you know, living the life they always wanted to live in retirement. And they spend a lot of money in the beginning of their retirement cycle. And then that, you know, that you see you had Harry Dent on there recently, and he does that age by spending chart. Mm -hmm. And as they get older, they spend a little less. But those first couple of years with a retiree coming in the market, they spend a lot of money. And, it, and they usually buy a really nice home somewhere. And then they move into the retirement parks after the fact, when they okay. go there and realize it's not bad, you know, that there's nothing wrong with being here. I've never owned a, well, I owned a boat once because I took it as a trade in real estate, but um, boat sales in California exploded after the pandemic. And I mean, a guy that I had a, a friend that was talking to the owner of the boat place and all of his sales got canceled in March. So he had 70 sales and they all got canceled. He had 800, about 800 boats in stock. Three months later, you know, things in real estate were doing well again. So he said, oh, I'm going to go get that boat. He went back to the guy and the guy was happier than a clam and he had 800 boats and now he has like 70. He sold like two years of boats in three months. It's crazy. Well, you, can, you can do that with your family and social distance. So it just really, in a way, the pandemic taught us about, you know, your, your family, your inner circle, whatever it is, you spend more time with them and you do things with them versus going to the club and concerts. I actually really miss going to concerts. Uh, you know, that those are a lot of fun because it's really a, it's a fun experience, but uh, vacations, traveling abroad. I mean, you can, but it's a little scary. Uh, I have a friend who's trying to get to Jamaica and it's not as much fun as it used to be to fly to Jamaica. I had okay. some friends that were also went to Jamaica uh, 
and ended up catching COVID. The cool part is, is while they had to wait to get a clear test, the uh, all-inclusive resort put them up for free. So they ended up getting an extra seven days of vacation, quarantined him and his wife. Doesn't sound like the worst idea. So, but yeah, it's, it's, we've really changed our paradigm. Uh, Southwest Florida is really benefiting. And I really call us in Texas to catcher's mitts for all yes. the capital. I, uh, we're, we're, you can actually evict somebody out of your property, which is, you know, California investors. I spoke with a gentleman who had sold a property in San Francisco and he was buying three homes in Northport. And I was like, why would you do that? So, you know, you always, uh, you always, you know, in relation to what, you know, when you're looking at investments on a national scale, he was a rent to value ratio of, I think, 34 in San Francisco, you know, the, the median home value versus the annualized median rent, the assets he was buying in Northport, I think I came up with a 13.5. So in his world, his cash flows up significantly. Uh, he actually has an as an owner some input into the property and 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 his treasure, to where in San Francisco I don't believe you have a lot of input into your property anymore. It's, you know, it, it, it the it, the the equation is skewed a lot more for the tenants than it is Absolutely. the owner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, somebody asked me a couple of days ago in some kind of an interview. You know, one of the what what were the reasons I left California, and I said California favors occupancy versus ownership, and that's pretty scary to me. Which I think so, occupancy should have some rights too. Uh, I, you know, there the the laws are there for a reason. There are slumlords that should be held accountable, but at some point, if they don't pay for six months, uh, I should be able to get my house back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a, I have a fifty thousand dollar bill on one uh, one eviction. Wow. Showing how many people can assist somebody to stay in for as long as possible when they know the ropes. It's so that's what. Yeah, you kind of get. That gets old. You go, okay. At Texas, I when we bought some stuff in Texas after the we wrote the crash, we had people go in there because Texas had never gone up. And I read their rental laws and it was pretty hilarious compared to California. It was very aggressive. As in you can change the locks. If you don't get paid, you can change the locks. It actually said that. Oh, you can't do that here. No, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know that. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't do it, but I'm just saying. Uh, I want to be in a state where I actually have some rights, and that that's that's a good thing. Um, Jeff, how do you how do you make your your living today? What it was it? Your well, my wife business? and I own a company called Steelbridge Realty. Uh, we have uh, one company called the Florida Land Team that we wholesale land from. I've got another vehicle we're setting up called Real Cap Ventures, where we're going to go after pretty much the whole state, most of the investor asset classes. Uh, we've got the Southwest Florida RIA. Uh, we kind of do a little bit of everything. What I've found in real estate is that you you really want to you really want to be in a position to maximize your exposure to these cycles. You know, you you have very limited time windows to make a lot of money. You can always make money in real estate, but you have some limited time events where you can make a lot of money. And being wide and having some scale will help you get where you want to be. How do you see this playing out? Okay, so do you see do you see this similar to the ending of 2006 or a very different ending? Well, when you look at the cycle, it's been a slow rise. This year's kind of been a hockey stick a little bit in pricing, yeah. okay? But it's been a long slow rise. So generally a long slow rise should be a long slow correction unless the hockey stick keeps going up. 
but I'm starting to see resistance to pricing everywhere. Like even Cape Coral Watts, there was a surge and we, you know, we're, we probably, I probably lit half of my listings on la- on land or my own, my own purchases. Right. And I'm starting to see in my own stuff that I can't push the market this hard. So it's, uh, you know, at some point, and that's a good thing. You really want that resistance. You just don't want unchecked for 18 months prices to run up because the aftermath is probably going to be three times that. Everybody points to 05 here in this market at what amazing time it was because they got to have sushi every day for lunch and, you know, they didn't cook (laughs) for a year. But you ended up with about a four-year hangover from a one-year party. Uh, I most wouldn't do it again if given the opportunity. Or they, they would eat ramen noodles, hopefully, for a year and set all that sushi. But when I look at this, biggest question, inflationary backdrop, deflationary backdrop. We won't know until all the unemployment runs out. And like the current, you know, you've also got a supply chain disruption. Right. Uh, you're trying to build houses. You're definitely, you're running up against that. Right. Those are temporary things. Uh, all this money they mailed, unless it turns into universal basic income long-term, everybody's screaming inflation, which the contrarian in me wants to scream deflation. Cause why would you need to print all this money unless you were trying to hoard off inflation? Right. You're trying well, hoard off deflation, right? Yeah, that's yeah. But you know, well, it, it, if uh, if all of a sudden they turn this into UBI, you know, universal basic income, you know, then that's that's a game changer. But the velocity of money is always in that backdrop because of the amount of debt we have. The velocity of money isn't jumping, and the velocity of money jumps. That's kind of inflation. So when I look at this cycle, honestly, you everybody wants to say this time is different, but we've never had a what, a $7 trillion Federal Reserve balance sheet, a $4 trillion M1 monetary base. We really have never been here before. The foreclosures would be much different this cycle because BlackRock, all those, all the big entities would gobble those up. You know, Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae sold a lot of properties that didn't go to foreclosure as notes to the the national build the rent entities. So this cycle will be markedly different. It also... In 2008, I was screaming hyperinflation. Most sane people were screaming hyperinflation at the end with all the money we were printing. Little did we know that money wasn't actually leaving the system. It was really just pumping up the bank's reserves to keep the system solvent. You know, the best analogy I heard on a podcast was blue dollars and red dollars. The uh, red dollars are what Americans were using, the blue dollars the system used. And then there was all over the world in currency swaps. But now we have actually printed money and giving it to people. So yes. that is why everybody's screaming inflation, but we'll start to know Q3 really. I always forward looking numbers, you know, I can look at it as of today, like as of yesterday, there's 40 more homes on the market here in Southwest Florida uh, than there was yesterday. We have a half a month's inventory. So until we hit <laughs> six months inventory, I'm not even really in a, in, you know, at that point when we hit six months inventory, I'm definitely risk off. But we're so far from that, and and there's so much pent up demand, and then the amount of equity and cash in this world is scary. And there's such yeah. a migration of cash to the Sunbelt yeah. areas that it's really scary. And then uh, as far as the Sunbelt areas, you've really got till 2025 for the baby boomers, and at that point, that trend starts to back off a little bit because they didn't make a lot of babies early in life. So their Gen X is a much smaller generation than than the baby boomers, but then the millennials are really big. But you know, 
Personally, I'm hoping for hyperinflation because in retirement, I want to buy some 13% CDs. You know, I'm really hoping the uh, second coming of Paul Volcker, Paul Volcker cranks the rates up because I would really love in retirement to get some of them 13% CDs and not do anything. But it, it probably won't happen because I want it to happen. But you really have to watch this. There's so many moving parts. Nobody knows them all. The Federal Reserve has actually been pretty masterful. I also... Like, especially, I was scared to death when we put Janet Yellen in as the Fed chair. And she turned out to do a really good job. Okay. I mean, in hindsight, she did a great job. But I was like, we basically have an academic who's never had a job in her life running our monetary system. And she did a pretty good job. And Jerome Powell is definitely the, what I call the anti-Alan Greenspan. You know, you had Greenspan speak back then and you would try and decipher it. And everything he threw out was chum. For the most part, he, uh, it was really hilarious. Back, if you go back and read his speeches, whatever he said, it was 180 degrees is what what they were about to do. He was always trying to trick the market. For the most part, where they're pretty transparent now, and I also think the Fed has an amazing amount of data. So going forward, I think our monetary policy isn't as an insane as most think because I mean, look at where we are. If you would have told me in in two, late 2008 we would be sitting here. If you'd have told me last year, we'd be sitting here. I, I, I was, I was already risk off, even though we did start a new venture in the pandemic, I really didn't have a lot of exposure and we didn't have much to do. So, all right, let's, you know, that's when we really launched a land wholesaling business and, and we mm -hmm. scaled through it and marketed through it. And it turned out to be the most brilliant thing I've done. And we have, we did in a long time. So it's uh, as far as this market, I don't really know. I'm watching the forward-looking numbers. I'm watching. I've got spreadsheets built where I look at the closed sales in relation to the pendings and the actives because it really tells the tale of where things are going. And you really watch that. I still watch the foreclosures. The RIA hasn't done a foreclosure report in almost a, over a year now, and we were well known for that. We were the we had the only functioning foreclosure database when the market blew up because my wife's little cousin built uh, a program to match it. And the county with $700 million in payroll at the time couldn't come up with the same thing. It was really <laughs> scary. I'm, I even said that. I'm like, how does some dude from the hinterlands have this? So hinter, I live in the country in North Fort Myers. How does some dude from the hinterlands have this and you guys don't? But really where we, we really gained a lot of prominence was having that database. I haven't even done the foreclosure report because it's just not worth it. I mean, okay, there was eight this month. There's yeah. nine next. You know, it's, it's not yeah. even worth talking about. Uh, no impact at all. Plus, it's, it's a little bit, you know, the forbearance is not a real number anyway. So, yeah. Jeff, Jeff can I ask a question? Sure. Um, you know, California, it, it could almost be three states, you know. Um, so my question is, does... The market react the same in Southwest, Central, and North or East um, as far as lots and uh, real estate in general. Does does it all react the same, or uh, you have pockets that you know aren't as accelerated as as some? It's all dependent. Uh, there's really two Floridas. There's coastal Florida, non-coastal Florida. There's also two Floridas in relation. If you take there's a town called Frostproof, and they name that for a reason. Uh, there was a big freeze in the 20s. Everything south of it, they still had orange trees. Everything north of it, they didn't have orange trees. Julia Tuttle sent a fresh orange uh, sprig to Mr. Fragler, who then ran the railroad to Miami, and that created Miami. 
uh, when that railroad went down there. So within all these markets, you have all these different modalities, but again, land always represents hope. So as long as there's hope, there's, I mean, I would venture to say you could go almost anywhere in the country and work the land market and make money just because there's so much hope. Real estate's very euphoric. But when I look at areas that are going to grow, I look at for capital influx, does the capital, I'm not even care if it favors the landlord. Does the capital, does the state laws just allow the landlord to have some rights to their treasure, to their asset? That's huge. There's so much capital flowing out of particularly California, Oregon, Washington, because people are scared. I mean, if you're a landlord, you have reasons to be frightful out there. Bruce, you, when we had lunch, you talked about getting fined for not building on lots. Yeah. That that's a land grab by any other, that there's no way that's not a land grab. And unless they're willing to subsidize the cost of the building, that's a land grab. But one thing, if they put up some money or even are, are they waiving impact fees or do they want their impact fees or oh, they're no, fining they, you? No, they just want They find you. This is in Oakland. So it's uh, they find you because you're not building whatever they want. And I, I, I really thought what, what you just said, I, I kind of came to that conclusion because I, I have some lots that, I'm waiting for sewers to come in and they, they don't perk. But anyway, I realized that if I was in Oakland that, and I had those lots, they, they could have them. And then it dawned on me, holy cow, that's exactly what they want. They want to take your dirt so they can use it for affordable housing. That was the really scary <laughs> recognition of what the intent was. Well, if that's the case, then buy it. You know, that that's essentially a taking in my opinion, but I always thought none of the, uh, either the realtor association or the landlord, big landlord groups had the courage to do it when they did the eviction moratorium. In my opinion, that was a national taking at that point. You just stripped me of some of my property rights and you, okay, you buy it, especially the comps were pretty good. Okay. Uh, buy it, you know, big class action lawsuit that that was a taking. It really was a taking, but you know, what's going to drive what areas and what markets? I mean, there's a lot of great growth everywhere. I mean, there really is. There's even parts of the Midwest that are starting to sprop up. The economy's doing fine. Unemployment's still really low. Uh, we have some, some people sitting on the couch. They're about to get kicked off the couch, in my opinion. Uh, wage growth is up. There's so many amazing reasons uh, to be bullish on so many areas. But for investment, First thing is what areas, like I say, you don't have to favor the landlord, just have to be able to exercise some rights over control of your asset. Those areas are going to do well. And Florida's even changing in the fact that our governor has been a godsend, really has been. I know it's a sin to go political on anything, but our governor has really been a godsend. And then on top of that, the state is just trying to foster growth. There's a lot of companies looking at Florida. Uh, Texas and Florida are the primary beneficiaries of the pandemic. If I had to pick two areas, that would be it. I mean, we're actually contemplating a vacation to Austin just because I want to, I hear so many cool things about Austin. I've got friends that have properties there that have doubled in just a few years. I kind of just want to go out and see what's going on out there. Plus I've heard there'll, there'll be a vegan restaurant right next to a old school South barbecue restaurant. That sounds like a pretty cool place actually. Yes. Uh, Austin is kind of like Orange County. Really? Yeah, it's definitely diverse. My daughter lives there. Yeah, their home price has pretty much doubled in two years. Crazy. 
But yeah, the market, I mean, eventually though, what's the spreadsheet say? You know, and uh, so many people get caught up in where's this trend, where's that trend. Uh, when you join uh, the Southwest Forteria, you get a welcome email. And in that welcome email are two Google Doc links. One is an APOD that was built a long time ago. I collaborated, but it was built by one of the members. And it's a very simple spreadsheet for cash flow. Even has some warnings, even if it gets really, really funny at the bottom of it. It says, can you afford to own this investment? And with the investment in quotations. Mm -hmm. And then we built one for flipping that actually has all the real cost in. Because if you've ever watched any of those flipping shows, it's hilarious how they have no closing cost commissions, debt service, utilities. Yeah. Uh, the contractors somehow generally come under, <laughs> which never happens ever, unless you are the con, even if you're the contractor, it's still under if you do your own work. But we actually, and you know, those, those two things are, uh, if you're starting in this game, you know, what are you here to do is the most important question in any venture. And in investing, it is so important. What are you here to do? I want to make 7% of my money per annum. I want to make 10. Is it levered? Is it unlevered? And then more importantly, at what point are you out? So many people buy these properties and they have no end game. And then you get like right now, it would be easy to get caught up in euphoria. And, uh, and well, if this went up this much, if I just wait three more years, three more years, I'll retire. And historically, that cycle's never really ran that long. So maybe this time it is different. But when it comes to the investing side, it's easy to get caught up in the trends at that moment. And the irony is everybody's running off closed sales, which is at best 45 days ago. So you don't even know what's happening today. I mean, actually, probably the best thing to watch, in my opinion, is the showing time stats. If all of a sudden the showings fall off a map, there's something to, hey, check that out. And showing time's becoming a national thing. So, I mean, and, and that's the beauty, this cycle versus the last cycle. The last cycle ran, that, that what I talked about when it ran from like August of 05 to the end of 06, because, you know, Zillow was still in his infancy. There just wasn't as much data out there. And the difference with this cycle is there are no more gatekeepers for data. There's data everywhere. So if you want to find the data, you can find the data. You can make intelligent decisions without being fed by trade organizations, which have a vested interest in generally keeping a cycle going because that's what their members are making money off of. Right. Um, you have any kids that work in the business? You know, it's amazing. We put my uh, oldest son on the phone and because uh, we just can't find anybody. It's hard to get help. And he's got a little extra capacity. And we put him on the phone part time and he picked up a, a lot that uh, we are have already moved for 12.5 for 5,500. <laughs> I, I think I was more excited about that lot than a saltwater lot that I'm personally doing that I am making a lot of money on. But you know, I'm sure you've, you, you've had this feeling too with Aaron in the business that you know, watching your son do something that you love is really an amazing moment. Oh yeah, there's nothing, nothing that beats that. Absolutely. So cool. yeah, I've got one that's, uh, and he seems to have a lot more. He's actually taller, better built, still has his hair. He's actually better looking than his father, and has most of his mother's good traits. So he'll do a lot better than I will by far. So. <laughs> well, Jeff, I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you, and I enjoyed uh, being with your club and really enjoyed the interview today. So thank you very much for joining us. Awesome. Enjoyed this. Okay, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Thanks. We'll see you.
For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.